Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to be in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 this morning. All right. Now, look, we've been talking about um, the I Am statements that are in the book of John, and we've been going through that over the past few weeks and months. All right. We're finished with that. But I want to tell you that there's a couple of messages that come out of this at the tail end that as I was studying and doing different things, um, they just go directly with it, okay? And so this is one, and then next week what we're talking about, um, I'm not sure if it's going to be next week. It may actually be two weeks. I may uh, pull out something special for Mother's Day and stuff like that. But one of those two things, and we'll be going over it for the next two or three weeks, all right? So this morning what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about John chapter 3. What takes place in John chapter 3, all right? Does anybody know? The most important verse in all of Scripture, right? And so there's John 3.16, but there's a story that begins chapter 3 of, of John that we don't really go into a whole lot, but it is what births out John 3.16. It's from this story and from what he's sharing and talking about right here that we get John 3.16. So um, let's go on ahead and dive, dive into Scripture. It says this, Now, when there was a man, a Pharisee, Named Nicodemus. Let's stop right there for a second. This is very important. So you had all of these people that would always come at Jesus. Okay? Now think about this. There were different sects and different beliefs of the Jewish faith, just like that they are, are different denominations of Christian faith. So there were uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots. And sometimes we get some of the information about where the, the, the disciples came from and, and, and all of that. Remember, there is, uh, there is uh, one of the uh, disciples that is called a Zealot. So he comes from that background as well. So we, we learn a little bit, about, but not a whole lot. Um, so in this particular case, we have a Pharisee. Pharisees were what was called the sect that was the keepers of the law. So in other words, they did all kinds of study. Their entire lives were in-depth study of the Scripture. Paul is a Pharisee. In fact, Scripture says that Paul is a Pharisee among Pharisees. In other words, he was a teacher of the teachers of the law. Do you get that? And he learned from one of the greatest teachers of that, the ones that passed on the law. So they passed on all of these understandings of what Scripture said. Now think about this. The Pharisees had added, or the Jewish faith had added, all kinds of laws on top of the laws that God had given. By the time Christ walked in the earth right here, we're up to over 400 laws that they kept. So the Pharisees knew all these laws and how to apply them. So here's a teacher of the law, a guy that's being called out, that's come to engage Christ. That's very important. It's very important because he's making himself publicly known to actually engage the Lord. When they came before, they would always come to, and when you see this in Scripture, it says the scribes or the Pharisees or the Sadducees that they came. So they were coming in how? They were coming not as individuals, but they were coming as what? Groups of people. And it would also say that as they came as groups of people, there would be a group of Pharisees there. There would be a group of scribes who were the learners. And then there would be the Sadducees and stuff. They would all be there in different forms and fashions, all there together, so that they could try to keep Christ in check. But in this particular instance, we have what? We have a Pharisee and who's called out, Nicodemus, and he has come to engage the Lord. Okay? So... He's a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him. So he's coming on his own, but how's he coming? He's coming at night. He's coming incognito, right? He doesn't want anybody else to know 
that he's coming. But so the Lord has been speaking out in public. And as he's been speaking and teaching out in public, he's gotten the ear of this man, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, being a leader, a religious leader of that day, wanted to find out more information. He could not do it publicly, so he's done what? He's done it privately. Now, stop here for a second. We, we're in church, right? We give invitations at church today. At the end, we'll give an invitation. Societally today, invitations, people don't get up and come to them anymore. Or they don't come in droves like they used to. We have cards right there. If the Lord has spoken to you today, you can put your information in. And if you want to talk to me or do different things, you can do that on a card. You can place it in the plate or, or you can give it to me personally. You can come up and talk to me after church. People don't want to walk the aisles like they used to because why? Because there is pub publicity in that and what's going on. And we live in a day and age today where people don't publicly uh, pronounce their faith like they used to. It's more privately engaged, okay? So one-on-one -on -one is big. We've lost this in the church. We're not engaging people one-on-one. -on -one. Our faith is actually passed from individual to individual. So what we're seeing here take place with Christ is very important for us. We want to stand up here. We want to give like a Billy Graham, y'all come and play just as I am you know, wherever, how many stands as it takes, and we'll see all these people come down. I, I know that God still moves that way, but what I'm saying to you is that relationally for our faith to engage other people needs to be what? Individual to individual through the Holy Spirit, okay? So this is what's taking place right here. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he has a recognition here that there's something going on in the life of Christ. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water. So let's stop right there for a second. Because it, what he's speaking about up to this point is what's called natural birth. That is what Nicodemus is seeing and thinking. His line of thought is, is that there's no way that I can be born again. All of us are born of water, okay? Natural birth takes us through that process. You In gestation, it's water. You're in water. That's what he's speaking here of. He says you have to be born of water. So there is a natural process and a natural, natural birth for us. This is Nicodemus' Nicodemus's line of thought. He can't get past this. When we're engaging people with the gospel, with the good news of Christ, they can only think scientifically and what natural law says. So the things that they've experienced or the things that nature provides for us or the things that science says is true, a lot of times that is a stopping point. Faith is nothing about that, though. Faith is believing in something that is beyond what you can see, right? That's, in fact, that's the de definition, right? That's a, a definition of what our faith is. 
And so we have to realize that, that we have to see beyond this and deeper. A lot of times when you engage people out in the community, they're only going to be able to think about what they've experienced. If someone's had a bad experience in church or someone's had a bad home experience about family or wasn't raised or brought up that way, there's all kinds of barriers and thought processes that are going into people's minds. And we have to allow the, the Lord to work through that. And sometimes that doesn't happen overnight. So think about Nicodemus here for a second. Nicodemus has been watching Christ from the shadows, and he's been listening. And now he's got questions. When we engage people over the course of our lives through either our testimony, which is our actions and deeds, or our words... So when you're speaking to someone about the Lord, or if you're just living the Christian faith out before someone, over the course of time, that will have an effect. It's been amazing to me over the last few weeks to see, and we heard about some of this and saw some of this, and we talked about some of this at the festival on Saturday, but there's a lot of you who have been, been, been engaged with family members or people that are friends for a long period of time. And we, we, we were engaged with a woman who was next to us in the booth who prayed for her husband for 36 years, 36 years, lived it, took her children to church right before his very eyes. He never went. And then the Lord got a hold of his, of his heart. So we have to realize that there are people watching us every single solitary day that we don't even know or even think about. And this is what's going on here. Now, he comes to the Lord and he asks a question. Christ answers that question, tells him he must be born again. There's something that is beyond what we are thinking about. There's something that is beyond the capability and rationale of us naturally, in our, through our processes, grasping who God is. This, is. this is difficult. Why is it difficult? Because most people only live in the realm in which, which is around them. In fact, our culture today says truth is what happens to you. So truth is what you say it is, because that's what's real for you, Right? But that is so antithesis to faith. So if we're going to engage someone with the gospel and try to tell them about what truly having a relationship with God's about, first of all, we're going to have to engage them to think beyond themselves. Think beyond what they know. Think beyond what they've experienced. And think beyond what's natural that comes to them on a daily basis, even their routine. And so when we do this, it's very important for you and I as followers of Christ to set an example that is antithesis to what the world says. Meaning this, the world is all about not serving. The world is all about themselves. The world is all about doing things for themselves. So how do we break those tendencies? We do things for others. We say things through our actions, or through our words. We offer comfort when there's loss or when there's despair or when there's no hope. We, do all, we come and we meet those people at their point of need with the gospel. We lived in a neighborhood over in Walton County when we were planning our first church. I never will forget this. There was a gentleman, he had a, I, I don't know how many, they, they had like five or six children, um, and her background was the Mormon church. Okay, And so her background was the Mormon church, but his background was Baptist. 
And so one day we were out doing work in, it was work day, and he and I were put together in the neighborhood to go around and, you know, put out mulch and do all the other stuff that we're doing. We get in this conversation. He knows I'm a pastor. He tells me his background is in Baptist faith. I said, how did you become a Mormon if your background is in Baptist faith? I said, I mean, that's, it's different. There's a, there's a big difference there. You know what he said to me, and I never will forget this. He said, you know, my wife's background was that. And when we had a point of need in our life, it was that church that stepped up and helped us. They responded to his need and he followed. That's where the world is. It, it's probably pretty obvious to all of us, including ourselves, all right, that, that the world's a mess, is it not? It really is. There's a big hole that's missing, and that hole is God. You and I aren't God, but we are representatives of the Lord to try to help fill that. The Spirit is the one that's fully going to fill that hole. We're going to see that in just a minute when we go through this and finish this. But the reality is, is that you and I are to be that example and that light of that before everybody else. Why doesn't God just come down from heaven and reveal himself and have everybody bow down and follow Christ? He's chosen not to do that. He's chosen in the day and age of the church, the end times, to use us. So we constantly need to be in a vertical relationship with the Lord, always trying to figure out how we can grow closer to God. Scripture says if you draw nearer to God, God will draw nearer to you. So you're constantly working on your vertical relationship to understand that that is going to help you horizontally. Your horizontal relationship is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the very second part of that is our life calling. The life calling of the church is to be a reach into the world. It is not to worry and care about ourselves. It is to care about others. Christ always preached others first. It's the middle of the night. How many of you would have said, man, Nicodemus, you need to go home. Come back to me in an appropriate hour. <laughs> I'm sure the Lord's had a busy day. How about all the people and the handlers that are around him? Where are they? He's worked himself through all of this. He's made an effort, and what is Jesus doing? Jesus is engaging him, and he is telling him truth. So you have to move beyond, and you have to see beyond the natural part of your life. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, Nicodemus doesn't catch this at first, all right? Let's read on. That which is born of flesh, Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 6, is flesh. So he continues to explain to him. Now, what does this mean to us? For we know, Romans says this, Paul says this in Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into the bondage of sin. So this is a man who knows the law, right? He knows every aspect of what the Old Testament says. That's what a Pharisee did. They studied all of that and learned all the minutiae and details of that and then passed that along through other teaching or through how they lived by following all those laws every single day. Can you imagine getting up? It's tough for us just to deal with the top ten, right? 
We just have the Ten Commandments. We break those all the time. What if you had to live by 430-plus laws every day about what you could touch, who you could touch, where you could go, what time you could be there? I mean, think about that for our lives. That's what these folks were doing. They were law after law after law after law. But Paul says this, the law is spiritual. The law was given by God. It was not given for salvation. It was given for condemnation. Why? Because there's no way you're going to keep all that. They're trying to live by over 400 laws, and they can't even do that. We can't even live by 10. And so when we fail at that, when we break that at any point, any time, just one time, we have thrown ourselves into the sin side of the ledger. And that's what Paul says. He says, the law is spiritual. It is given by God, but it has cast me into the bondage of sin. Because it has revealed me to be who I am, which is what? A sinner. So, here's the second part of this. In the natural part of life, we have to have everybody, all these folks who are self-centered and all these folks who are focused not upon God but upon them as an individual and their life experience is all about, we have to help them to see that there is sin in that. Have any of you ever been doing something wrong and someone come up to you and say, hey, this is wrong, and you say, no, that ain't wrong. I've done that that way all my life. Never done that? You never know? No, man, that ain't wrong. This is, I've been doing this all my life. This is why I grew up doing this. This ain't nothing wrong with this. No, man, that's wrong. You shouldn't be treating people that way, talking to people that way, acting that way, doing that. Just because it was passed down through us through flesh doesn't mean it's right. So we have to realize that we are in sin. And once we can get people to that point... Then we can move forward. He's going to detail this on out in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and then verses 17 through 20. So let me give that to you. Therefore, just as one man, Adam's sin entered into the world, death through sin, so death spreads to all men, because all have sinned. For if by one transgression the one death reigned through the one, so then through one transgression the resulted condemnation of all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, the law came in so that the transgression would what? Increase. Sin abounds. Sin spreads. You would think that when someone tells about the atrocities that are going on, you would think that when someone announces that someone has gone into a public building, a campus, or a place of worship and has shot somebody else, that people would be so morally outraged with that that it would never, ever, ever happen again. Now, I know it happened before, but to me, Columbine High School in 1999 was where that kind of entered into the realm of someone going into a public place and doing something like that. Then, uh, I, well, maybe we all already had the, was the bombing in Oklahoma with that, where the guys drove in with the bomb and, and blew up the federal building in Oklahoma? Had that already happened? Or, you know, these things, you would think that when those things happened, that that would be the end of that. Now, I want you to think for a second, how many times has that happened since then? 
I mean, it's almost now on a weekly basis that in a religious place, some sort of organizational or institutional government, school, church, some public place, somebody's going in and trying to do something like this. Sin is not decreasing. It is what? It is increasing. So just the very thing that we think that would stop all of this, because what? It's a bad thing. It doesn't happen. It increases all the more. Someone else tries to go out and redo it. Or it spurs that on. Where are we? That's the flesh. That's the natural. That's the part where we spend most of our time thinking in that realm. And that's where Nicodemus is. That's where we have to engage everybody. That's why the degree of difficulty right now in speaking about Christ and sharing about Christ and seeing people come to Christ, I believe in this country, is exponentially higher. Because of what is taking place, sin is multiplying in and around us. And we're doing everything the same. We're thinking that we're going to be able to stand up here on Sunday mornings and I'm going to be able to say, y'all come. And then people are just going to start flowing down here. The battle is not in those pews anymore. Are you following me? We're not even getting them inside the door of the church. The battle is on the streets. Every single solitary week where you're meeting and seeing people and you're engaging them. Life is happening moment by moment there. And it takes a lot to get them here. But the real battle is being won there. You need to understand, when we see somebody walk the aisle here, if they do that in this day and age and in this time, there's been so much that has exponentially gone on to get them to this point. And though a pastor can stand up and say, I helped such and such come to know Jesus and I got to baptize them. Woo-hoo-wee! That has nothing to do with, in fact, at, at Connecting Point, our first, our last church plant that we were at, our baptistry was on the floor of the church. It was kind of over here in the corner. And so what we would do is we would get in the baptismal pool with the, with the candidate, and then I would have the candidate invite all the people who had in, influenced them in their faith before they got to the pool to get there. And then I would have them ask one of those people to pray for them. Because so many times it was the person that led them to Christ or the person that had shared Christ with them for up to 36 years and prayed for them to get them to that point. I just got to be there and go with them with it in the water. The work is being done on an engaging level, person to person, one person at a time, by you outside of this church. The only way that we get them past first birth is to engage them there. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, let's keep reading, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. They're lost. They will stay lost for all eternity, which we've looked at and studied over the last few weeks. If we can't engage them here, the second birth is a salvific birth. It's a birth of the Holy Spirit, not of me, not of you, but of God. 
John chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 7 and 8 says this. Don't be amazed that I say this to you. You must be born again. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. How many of you got a plan for today? You got a plan? Where are you going for lunch? You got things you got to do this afternoon? You got places you got to be, people you got to see, that kind of thing? Just don't go over 12, Tim. You're starting to infringe on my time. Let's go. We got places to go. We got things to do. So listen to me. We all got a plan. Where are you going to be tomorrow? You got a place you got to be tomorrow? There a time you got to be there? If you're not there, somebody else gets upset. We have routines. We have things we have to do. We have responsibilities. Is the wind like that? It is not, is it? Did you get up this morning? Did, how many of you got up this morning when the sun was starting to come out from the clouds? When I first got here, if you'd have drove by by 9 o'clock this morning, all the doors were open. We had a breeze going through here. It was really, really nice. It was an amazing thing. Why? Because it was refreshing. It was uplifting. It was actually very inspirational to be here this morning and just to feel the breeze. Well, we were talking about it in men's at prayer time and stuff. It just, what? When a nice, cool breeze blows at your back or on your face, it just changes your whole attitude, doesn't it? Just kind of fills you with something else. What Christ is saying, that's what the Spirit is like. The Spirit moves and it is constantly moving. The direction of the Spirit moving can change. It can move from one place. Are we aware of that? Should be, shouldn't we? If you're a sailor, you better know when the wind changes, right? You better be able to see it. If you're out on a lake and you're using the sails, you better be able to. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck out in the middle of the lake, right? No wind blowing. You can't get yourself back. You're rowing at that point. We need to harness the wind, the move of God. As the Spirit of God moves, we need to be able to see that it's moving and respond to that. Open the doors, let it in. Don't close it off and think, oh, it'll go away in just a little while. It will go away in just a little while. We have to embrace it. We have to see how God is moving in and around our lives and respond to that. We're going to talk about this at men's Bible study on Wednesday. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I'm going to connect it to. <clears throat> Experiencing God says this. Henry Blackaby says this, and this is the Tim quotation of this. This is not how it's said in the book. He says that you come to a point of a crisis of belief. Every, in, in every person's life, they come to a crisis of belief. This is not how mom and daddy explained it to me. This is not how all my experiences said that this would happen. I can't tell you the number of times I've read stories about people who've won the Super Bowl and then gone into the depression. They're like, what am I going to do with my life now? I'm 30 years old. My whole life, my whole life journey was to win the Super Bowl, and now I've won the Super Bowl. Why is, why is Tom Brady still playing football at 42? And he just wants to win again. What happens when he can't do that anymore? The very thing that he's known for and defined for in life, is he going to be able to deal with that? 
when that wind changes, all the things that we pour ourselves into, all the things that we think that we can give our life to here, it will eventually result in emptiness. When we get to that point, we're at a point of what's called a crisis of belief. All the things that I have lived for my entire life, blown up, or gone, or changed. Wearsby says this, I'm Wearsby, Blackaby says this. He says, you cannot go with God and stay where you are. Repeat that with me. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. That is, that's, that's almost infantile, isn't it? But it's so impactful. The older we get, the more set in our ways we get. The more routine we get. The more we dislike change. If the wind blows a different direction, that's okay, I'm not going there. We can miss out when that happens. Our job is, as people of God, is to see God moving in and around our lives, respond to that, and go with God. Go with God. And always have the willingness to be able to do that. You have to respond. If you don't, then people... I'm not saying that God won't reach people if, if we're not the person that does it. That gives me too much. All right? God can do whatever God wants to do. But the reality is, is that I miss out. And Ezekiel goes so far as to say as if you were supposed to share and you didn't share, then their blood is on your hands. That really scares me. That really, really does scare me. To think that I've come in contact with someone and, and I did not respond to what God was wanting me to do, they ended up not coming to know the Lord and I could have done something about that. Second birth, salvific birth. So here's the second part of what Romans says, okay? Romans chapter 5 says this, For if by one transgression the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign through the life of the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through the one transgression there resulted in condemnation for all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted in justification of life to all men. That's very important too. Theologically today, we like to say that there's a chosen, there's those, the elect, all those things. This right here says what? That when Christ died, justification is now available to who? All men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even though the disobedience of the one, uh, excuse me, even though, even through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. So, if we live in a day and age where sin is multiplying out, get this, we live in a day and age where grace is being what? Multiplied out even more. Do you get it? If the sin is increasing, then God is God. The grace 
and the mercy is increasing even more. Think about this church in the day and the age when the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And the church wants to close its doors. And the church wants to not let these people in. These people are going to mess up all the stuff we got going on here. Scripture says that grace should abound even more. So in a day and age where people are taking advantage of the church more and defacing the church more and decrying against the church more, the church should be what? Reaching out more. The church should be giving more. The church should be multiplying itself through what it has been blessed with more. Whatever that is. Ever how that is. So in the day and the age where we see all this happening, you and I need to be first responders. We need to be spiritual first responders. When planes hit the Twin Towers, first responders ran in. They did not run away. When those around you, their lives are collapsing because of the sin life that they lived, that is a crisis of belief moment, and you have an opportunity you need to run in. You need to share. You need to have a handout to help them up. You need to be available. You need to make the most of that opportunity for which you've been given. And you need to respond. And I need to respond. That's a picture of the church. That's a picture of Christ. That's a picture of the Spirit of God moving. Look, where this happens, God shows up. We, we live in the wealthiest country in the world. The poorest of our poor live better than some than most of the people in other countries. Not all, but other countries in certain areas. I mean, the things where, you know, even the housing and things like that that we have is so much better. I've gone to places and seen people living in 10 shacks all where they have found all, you know, I know that we have cardboard places and stuff like that here and, and all this stuff, and I'm not trying to, to belittle any of that. But I am trying to tell you that there are other places in the world where it is so... There's a ministry that is over in Lawrenceville. And they do an outreach ministry in Ecuador. Do you know where the place is in Ecuador that they go? It's a trash dump. Their ministry is in a trash dump in Ecuador. That's where people are living they go there multiple times a year to do ministry in a trash dump in a foreign country because people are taking that trash, trying to live off of it through food, shelter, and everything else. That's their ministry. That's where they're going. But you know what? They're seeing people come to know Christ all the time because they're at a crisis and a point of what? Crisis of belief. We have all this. We walk around all this. And we think, you know what? They have just enough, as much opportunity as I have to know Jesus. If they choose not to, so be it. That's the wrong attitude. We're going to miss the move of God. 
we may have already let the Spirit move on to another place. You don't think He won't go where people are willing. Europe used to be the center of Christendom. I think France is now 4% Christian, if that. The same thing in England. This is where our denominations came from. This is where our, our faith history came from. So don't think that we can't get to the point here in this country out of 300 plus million people that we're down to 4 or 5% professing in faith. It can and will happen if we do not respond. They must be born again. Natural birth is not going to cut it. Saying that you were born into a church or that your mom and daddy went to church or that, you know, this, that, or the other happened, it's not going to get you there. They got to have a personal relationship with the Father through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And just like we have been sung to this morning, make me an offering. Make me a vessel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for just the opportunities that we're given on a daily basis to come in contact with those who you place in our way. Nothing happens by chance. They are God-ordained appointments. And Father, I pray that you'll give us the opportunities throughout the this week and the days ahead to be able to share with people and to show people and to live before people the life of Christ. Lord, we don't know what to say. We don't know how we can help sometimes. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit in us. Father, I pray for, our, for guidance and direction. I pray for the knowledge to know how to respond. And if that means that it's the church-wide and it's something that we can't do as an individual, then we need to do that. Ministry is what you've called us to. In fact, you've told us, Paul tells us, that we have a ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to reconcile this world back to you. That's our only job. And what other things that you give us employment, homes, finances, those are all just tools to make that happen. Help us to see you at work and to respond in those the way that we need to. These things we ask, these things we pray for now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.